How's everybody this morning? Anybody enjoying the World Series? I mean, apparently it's been like since 1908 since the Chicago Cubs have won the World Series. And someone sent me uh, what was happening in 1908. Like 8% of Americans had a telephone. 8%. 14% had a bathtub. Have we not come a long way? Uh, not only that, they said, I don't know where they find this statistic. I mean, I don't know where these come from. But they said that women would wash their hair once a month using egg yolks. And they didn't have bathtubs. It couldn't have been a good day. You know what I mean? And once a month, what are egg yolks? Really? That just sounds gross, does it not? And the number of doctors that had degrees or high school educations was alarmingly low. We've come a long way uh, since then. But uh, uh, being a baseball fan, uh, it's kind of a buzz. Even Cleveland as well. But I got to tell you about Caleb. My son, Caleb, he's 21. He plays baseball actually over at Rollins. And he and some buddies put in a lottery. Uh, Major League Baseball said, if you want World Series tickets, you could send in your email address and you might win some. Well, you don't win them free. You're able to buy them at face value. And so he got, for the first game in Chicago in 71 years, first World Series game, he got four tickets uh, for Friday night's first game. And their face value, I mean, they were barely inside the stadium. Uh, I mean, he was inside, but barely. And they were $350 a piece. And so he just schemed with a friend saying, okay, we're going to go. There's a friend of ours who goes to school at Wheaton up there in Chicago. We'll stay with him and give him a ticket and we'll sell on StubHub the last ticket to pay for the entire trip. My kid, he's pretty smart, isn't he? Uh, One ticket, 2,500 bucks for a nosebleed seat. And he texts me, says, dad, I made $67 after all the expense. I'm like, okay, that's 670 in tithes, son. So uh, make sure you get it in here. Anyway, if you're not a baseball fan, it's a fun time of year. All right, what, what is, uh, I'm gonna change gears rapidly here. Let me ask you a question. It might be a little bit of a male question. I, I don't know, but let me ask you a question. What is your all-time favorite car? Now, now, some of you may say, I don't care. Whatever gets me to A to B. But for some of us, like your all-time favorite, what, what is your, your dream car? Do you have it? Can you picture it? For me, it's a 1970 Chevelle Supersport with a, with a 450 a horsepower car. I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's beautiful. And Katie will say, I don't understand how you love that. I don't see how it's beautiful, but it is. And I have one. I got one. It, it, it sits on my desk at, in my study. This is it. This is my 1970 Supersport Chevelle. Uh, well, it's a copy of one. It's a pretty good copy of one. And maybe you're looking at that saying, are you serious, Jeff? This is your dream car. I'm telling you, this is my dream car. Would I trade this in for the real thing? How crazy would it be if I were offered a, a straight up trade? I will get, give to you a true 1970 Chevelle Supersport for your model, for your copy. And how crazy would it be? Nah, you know what? I really gotten to like this little guy. He fits nice. The wheels go nice. I'm like, I mean, it'd be a no-brainer, right? I mean, the first thing we do is say, I'm in. Uh, take this away. Uh, I will take the real deal. The story of the Bible is this. That Jesus is the real deal. 
that he is the genuine article, that, that everything, especially everything in the Old Testament or the beginning of the Bible, all pointed to him. As a matter of fact, they say that all the things in the Old Testament, they were, they were copies or, or shadows of what was to come. That everything pointed, everything had a, had a design. And, and in the shadows, we find the substance when you find Jesus. And when you realize that everything was pointing to him, it all makes sense in him. Things like the temple and the tabernacle. It pointed to him that he was the true temp- temple, the true place where God and man dwelled together. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices, especially of the Day of Atonement, on that one day when the high priest went in the Holy of Holies for the sins of the people, that was just a shadow of something to come. That Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And not only that, but he's the actual, he's the actual sacrifice. That all everything else was just a copy. That all the priests, all the prophets, all the kings in the Old Testament, they were just shadows of what was to come. The ultimate prophet of God. Because Jesus is God and he spoke as God. The ultimate priest who, who offers a true sacrifice for us. And the ultimate king who, who destroys our enemies and, and reigns over us. The true substance of all that God promises in the Bible is Jesus. And here's the point. Anything that's not him, even religion, anything that, that may sound like it it's points to him, but it's not really him, it's, it's useless. And the writer, of the, uh, the writer to the audience of Hebrews and to us is saying to the people, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at the temple and the sacrifices there. Don't, don't look back at all that was promised. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. And don't even look forward to something more. Fix your eyes on him. Why? Because he's the real deal. He's our real hope. He's what the writer of Hebrews will say. He's the anchor of our soul. Without him, everything drifts. We're going to look at three things today. The real deal, the new deal, and the lasting deal. And the Old Testament, let me set this up a little bit more by saying that the Old Testament, uh, God's love story unfolding, uh, will tell us that there's a promise that was made. It was made a long time before Jesus showed up to a prophet like Jeremiah. And we're going to see Jeremiah's quoted in the text today. And the prophet is that, that says this, that God's going to make a new deal with his people. The old deal of the law, it's not working. And God's going to make a new deal. And it's going to be an incredible deal that will set us free. And to give us hope in life. And we're going to see that Jesus is that real deal that gets us to that new deal. And the deal that we have with him, the relationship we have with him, is a lasting deal. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Hebrews chapter 8. Let's be mindful that we're reading God's holy and errant word. In Hebrews 8, we'll read the chapter. Uh, but again, think of Jesus as the real deal, the new deal, and the lasting deal. These words were written a long time ago. And they were written specifically to an audience that was struggling uh, to wonder if Jesus is enough. But because God's Holy Spirit breathed into that original author, that he really is that original author, these words are for you and they're for me. Hear the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter eight. Now the point in what we are saying is this, and again, the point that Jesus is this ultimate high priest, is we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, 
in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if we were here on earth, uh, uh, if we were, he were, if, let me try again. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. And this is the, this tent is the tabernacle of God, the place where God and man dwelt together with Moses in the desert. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the, uh, the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted out of better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and now he's going to lengthily quote almost absolutely perfectly verbatim, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. If you know the Bible story, he's saying, I'm going to make something new, different than when I rescued uh, his people from slavery in Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let us pray. Father God, come and speak clearly through a broken sinner like me. God, would you please be with us with such power and such transparency that we, we would have ears to hear the voice of Jesus, our high priest, that we would have minds to understand his word, that, that we would by faith have hearts to embrace his love and the work that he has done for us. And that God, that you'd be with us in a way that empowers our feet to walk in a manner worthy of his name. Again, God, we come to a text that's ancient and old that talks about religious customs that we're not used to. And it could be cold and confusing. But God, if you empower this, it's life-giving. So come and empower your word as it's preached to your people. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen.
In your bulletin, if you want to follow along, you'll find an outline and some space there for you to make notes. And the, the first thing we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews is telling us over and over again, but really wants to make clear again here in this text is that Jesus really is the real deal. That this one incredible love story that God has given us, this one story of who God is and how he loves and rescues us, that Jesus is that real deal. All that was said in the Old Testament, those first 33 books from the temple, the sacrifices, they, they were just shadows. They weren't the reality themselves. In verse 5, it says this, those things were a shadow and a copy. It's interesting when you spend time looking at the Bible and how it describes the temple and the, the holy of holies and who had access there. It was this really cool picture that, that there is a holy God that's separated from sinful man. That only one person this high priest one time a year could go and go into this place. And he wouldn't dare go without a sacrifice. And he had to go for a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of his people. Because we still needed to have that relationship with God. And, and so they had this really incredible ritual, incredible formula. So much religion was around the temple. And you realize, all that, it wasn't the real deal. All that was just pointing to what the real deal would be. But, but God's people thought, that's got to be the real deal. I mean, even today, go to the wall where the temple was. Go and see how many people think, that's the real deal. I mean, there is that place where, where God uniquely put his name. And so many people through, through religion, whether they're, they're Jewish or, or, or many who call themselves Christians, will, will say that the real deal is found in religion. And all those things just pointed to the real deal who's found in a personal relationship with Jesus. Everything, the temple, the sacrifice, the high priest, everything that Jesus would do was all pointed to. And we should never look to the shadows to fulfill our lives. We should never look to religion to bring you life. We should never look to something that wasn't supposed to. Only look to Jesus. I don't know the statistics with fantasy football. I would imagine many of you play it. I would imagine that many of you probably play fantasy. I bet you most people that play, many people play it, probably like it more than football. They got skin in the game, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whose team you're going for. You got a bunch of individuals. You're competing with other people. I mean, fantasy football might become your football season, but it's not really football. It's a fantasy football league. It's not the same. And Jesus is saying, anything apart from relationship with me is fantasy religion. That's not the real deal. All right. If Jesus offers us the real deal, why would we spend any time to copy? If you were offered a model of your dream car or a dream car, which one would you take? And Jesus is saying, I'm the real deal. Come to me. So you got this real deal. Everything was a shadow pointing to him. Then you have this new deal. I'll never forget the night I was with a good friend when he got the most devastating news that probably a married person could get. It's got to be in the top two. He got the devastating news that his wife was unfaithful. That she was involved in an affair, an affair with somebody he knew, an affair with somebody he worked with, uh, and his world crumbled. And in God's providence, uh, we happen to be together. 
And I'll never forget the wails. I'll never forget the crying. I'll never forget the, the hug. I'll never forget that, that awkward but, but needed moment where, where uh, a man crumbles in your arms because of the reality of a wife who's been unfaithful. And many of us, even hearing this illustration, know the pain. And many of us just want to almost say, stop talking about it, because the pain could be that deep and that raw when there's that reality of, of marital unfaithfulness. The pain of adultery in a marriage. And I think it's one of the most acute pains that humans will ever face. I mean, you've given a vow to somebody that's been so betrayed and so broken. What do you do when a spouse is unfaithful? What do you do? And you got to make that decision oftentimes because you can't even think straight. I mean, you often got to make a decision like that when, you're, when your emotions are raw, your life is torn apart, everything is upside down, the betrayal, the confusion, and if you have them, maybe the, the kids. What do you do? There's divorce. I mean, divorce is uh, seemingly the next thing oftentimes. I mean, divorce, once those vows have been broken, once that unfaithfulness is known, I mean, it, most times it leads to divorce. And by the way, God says he hates divorce. But he even gives provision in his word saying that, that one of the biblical grounds for divorce, one, one of the things that, that he says I'm going to allow, although I hate it, is unfaithfulness, adultery. That you can get that. When vows are that damaged, how can they be repaired? Did you make new ones? Done that many times. Renewed vows. Sometimes renewed vows for those who remarried each other. My friend chose, I think, the hardest route. To pursue his wife. To forgive his wife. To move toward her. If she was repentant and willing to move toward him. And try to mend what was ripped apart. And I want you to tell you that they've been working on it for decades. And it's not been easy. And it wasn't healed right away. And there's still some mending to do. But one of the greatest joys that a pastor's ever witnessed is the rekindling of a love. And uh, the, what God, God loves to fix broken pieces. And he loves to fix broken relationships. And I've I've witnessed firsthand. I've had a front row seat. I've personally been involved in what is an absolute amazing transformation and brokenness. And when vows were made back to one another. And this is what God does with us. You got to understand that this is the language of the Bible. The story of the Bible is the story of God's people. And our God is a loving God who, who doesn't just love us from a distance. Listen to this. He doesn't just love us from a distance. He wants to pursue us and love us as a spouse. He, he wants to love us in a covenant relationship. The word we use oftentimes is covenant, covenant, covenant. Uh, and it's this, this promise that God has made to his people that he'll be our God and we'll be his people. It's this beautiful covenant relationship, but it's marriage relationship. I mean, you got to understand the language he uses is marriage. And when you read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and when people were sinning, when his people were sinning, guess what he called it? Adultery. You're pursuing false gods. You're cheating on me. 
You're pursuing that which is not me. You're, you're committing adultery. He says, have no other God above me. Nothing, not your job, not your family. Have nothing above me. Because as you pursue anything above me, you're cheating on me. But what do God's people do? If you read the Bible, you know that's all they did. They habitually cheated on him. They habitually, over and over and over again, he'd come and rescue them. He'd, he'd come and clean them up. He'd come and love them. And they kept pursuing that which wasn't him. And he said, he threatened him. He said, listen, if this continues, we're going to get divorced. If this continues, I'm going to not call you my own anymore. I'm going to divorce you. I'm reading right now through the book of Hosea. It's an incredible little minor prophet. And it's this whole story of God who, who's saying to his people, listen, you're, you're, you're committing adultery. You're sinning like crazy. You're not acting like my people. I'm going to divorce you. But you know how merciful God is? But if I do, I'm not going to stop pursuing you. If you do, I'm still coming after you. That's the story of the Bible. It's such good news for, for those who wander like me, that God pursues his adulterous people. And the prophets like Jeremiah that we read quoted, the prophet like Jeremiah says, listen, God's going to do a new deal. The old deal's been broken. The old deal of the law, the old covenant of my people, I mean, we, we trashed it. We broke it. But God is going to do a new deal with us, a new covenant, new marriage agreement with his people. And this is why Jesus calls us, what, his bride. This is why we're his bride, and this is why he's the bridegroom. And he's got this new deal. And, and did you read the words in Jeremiah that I read, that were quoted again here in Hebrew? The new deal that God deals with his people, and you can't miss this. The first thing we find, it's a grace-based deal. It's based on grace, not law. It's basically saying, by God's grace, he gives us a new deal. The, the, the botched deal that we blew and the law that we couldn't keep, he gives us a new one. It's filled with mercy. And here's his grace-based deal. He forgives our sins. Verse 12. He says, for I will be merciful, merciful toward their iniquities and I will choose or I will remember their sins no more. You cannot have a healthy relationship if you don't deal with sin and have that sin removed. If you've been involved in a relationship where there's adultery and you know that you have that power of that scarlet letter of an A, adulteress, and it, if that just continually hangs over a spouse, you'll never get closer together. How does that be removed? How can that be to taken away, especially in a broken heart? But here's, here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move towards you and have a new deal of a relationship with you. And I'm going to call you my own. And, and I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be my people. And I'm going to begin with your sin. I'm going to remove it. I'm going to choose to remember it no more. You will not be defined by your sin. You'll be defined by my love for you. I'm going to take away anything that's in the way of you and me. And all the things that we repeatedly over and over plug up in the relationship with him. He says, I'm dealing with it. Why? So you could focus on me. Listen, so you could even focus on me and not your sin. When things get so broken in a marriage relationship that all you can focus is on sin, you can't hardly focus on anything else. It's hard, hard to move forward because you got this broken, oozing wound. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to choose to remember your sins no more. I'm going to deal with them completely, not, not in part, but in whole. I'm going to absorb all the wrath that is deserved for him. I'm going to take the punishment. I'm going to die the death. 
I'll be resurrected and, and, and break the bonds of death forever. Why? So we can be forgiven. Why? So we can be loved as a spouse. It's, just, it's not just so that we can be cleansed, so but we can be made beautiful. How incredible. Jesus doesn't hold our sins over our head. How do you do with that? Especially those closest to you. Do you keep a record of wrongs? Do you, do you use other people's sins to whack them over the head and keep them in line when it's to your advantage? Do you pull it out when you can? You say, let me remind you. Let me just remind you what you've done and who you are. Here it is. Live in reality of this broken, sinful, rotten, ugly mess. It's not what Jesus does. So I'm choosing to not remember. I have dealt with it. It's gone. And I will pursue you with love. This new deal is a grace deal. It's a renovation of the heart. As God says, I'm going to write the law on your hearts. It's graciously. I mean, God, think, think of the old deal. It was that God wrote on stone. He gave his law on stone uh, to, to Moses. And that stone didn't work. He says, a new deal. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to write it on stone. I'm going to write it on your hearts. It's a, it's a renovation of the heart because why God is always about the heart. Do you know that? He's not about religion. He's all about the heart. It's a heart deal. The prophet Ezekiel will tell us in Ezekiel 36, 26, that I will give you a new heart. I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. It's about love, relationship, not religion. It's not only the renovation of the heart, it's the illumination of the mind. God himself says, I'm going to put the law upon your heart. I'm going to give you this Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you understand my word. And the Holy Spirit's going to help illumine who I am and shine the beauty and the brightness on Jesus. And God himself says, I'm going to work with your heart. I'm going to shine in your mind. And it's a holistic deal. This new deal is a holistic. It says it's available from the least to the greatest. Here's the point. There's not one of you, not one of us, who's disqualified because of the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's not one of us. From the least to the greatest, he offers this incredible gracious deal to forgive our sins, to make us new, to work on our hearts and to fill our minds. What an incredible deal. And lastly, it's a lasting deal. When a marriage crumbles or is crumbling, the question that is asked Maybe you're asking that. Maybe you've asked it. Maybe you will ask it. When a marriage is crumbling, it's often asked, is this marriage worth saving? Is this worth it? Are we going to make it? And when a marriage is in that spot, I mean, this is, there's the focus is on survival. You get to the point, you say, I, I don't want to pour my energy and time and resources into something that won't work. Maybe I need to move on to the next opportunity. With our God, he wants you to know your, your marriage with him is secure. You don't have to wonder, are you going to make it? Because why? Because he who promises faithful, and it's not your promises that win the day. It's not your faith that wins the day. It's his. His promises. His grasp on you. He's removed our sin. He's given us a new heart. He will never let us go. We're going to make it because of what Christ has done. My mom loves family photo albums. Does your mom? 
Anybody have a mom who loves, she just loves a story. She can't stop telling a story. So every time I'm at their house, I mean, hey, Jeffrey, have you, have you looked through the family albums? And there's tons of them. Sometimes they'll just appear in my lap. Here they go. Here, here's some family albums. Okay, mom, you want me to remember? You want me to look back and to see what we used to be? You see, God's love story is like a family photo album. He wants us to look back to see what we were dead in our sins and what we are now, a child of the living God. He wants us to see and remember his story and his love for us. But there's more. See, the cool thing about the Bible is that it doesn't just tell us what we were. It tells us what we will be. In this passage, it's kind of, it's amazing. It says the time's coming where you no longer have to tell your neighbor, know the Lord, because they all will. A time is coming where, where we don't have to evangelize. We don't have to do any more of that stuff. Because why? Because God is going to bring all of his people to, into the fold. His kingdom is going to come and it's going to come in its fullness. A day is coming. It's clearly not today. Clearly today we still got to tell our neighbor, you got to know this Lord. He's incredible. He forgives your sins. He gives you a new heart. It's incredible. But he gives us a picture of what's going to happen. You see that? Those are the lasting days, the last days. He's going to never let us go. The lasting deal. There's no other one coming. What are you looking for? Anything beyond Jesus? Are you hoping for anything beyond Jesus to give you life and life abundantly? He is the lasting deal. The same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, the first deal he gave us, the first covenant, this, this law... It was based on man's obedience. And we messed up. The second deal, this new deal he's given, it's based on God's promise. It's based on the work of his son. It's based on the obedience of Jesus. It's secure, it's beautiful, it's real. How crazy would it be for you and me to accept a copy when we are offered the real deal. How is it with you? Are you in a marriage relationship with Jesus? Have you given your life to Christ? Has he removed your sins as far as the East is from the West? Are you pursuing another God? Are you looking for another deal? Or are you with security knowing that he loves me in a way that'll never let me go? Let me work on my marriage with Jesus. Let me be a more faithful spouse to my savior. Let me live my life in a way that the world knows that I'm loved and I'm forgiven and I'm free. And that's the way he tells his love story through you and me. Remember that even our marriages are a shadow of what is coming and what has come. Every wedding I officiate, I always will say these words and I love officiating weddings. I'm like, basically, you got to understand that If you're two children of God, this isn't your love story. This is his love story. And that God wants to tell his story through you. And if you're here today and you're single and you long to be married, saying, I want that story, you got to know that Jesus is enough. Don't believe that a copy of the real thing is going to set you free if you're single. And if you're here and your marriage is crumbling and, and maybe broken beyond repair, know that Jesus is enough. I know it's really, really hard, but, but ultimately the love that will fill you and set you free is not found ultimately in a spouse, ultimately in a child. 
ultimately in anything else that's a copy, but only the real deal through nail-pierced hands of Jesus. May he wrap them around you, pull you close, and may you hear, you are mine, and I am yours. Let us pray. Father, forgive us for wanting to accept a copy, a shadow, when you offer us the real deal in Jesus. Forgive us for pursuing relationships apart from you that we think that will fill us up and set us free. Forgive us. God, I pray for the one in this room that maybe has never given their life to Christ. Maybe they've been around the shadow and a copy of the church and religious things for a long time, but never experienced the incredible joy of knowing that their sins you chose to deal with and remember no more. God, would you give that person, those persons today, the gift of faith to see and believe Jesus as who he truly is, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And God, for those in this room and that are just so hurting because of earthly relationships that are broken, maybe marriages, maybe parents, maybe with aging parents, God, would you just continue to fix our eyes on Jesus and As we look to him, can we have hope that he and he alone is the one who gives us the love that will truly set us free and make us whole. God, forgive us for pursuing so hard after everything that's just a copy, just a shadow. And may we pursue hard after you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.